it would have been very easy for me to fulfill that narrative of I'm just not that fast. I could probably never break 20 or never break 1930. And instead, I just said, well, why not me? Why not this moment? Why don't you just stop limiting yourself and just go for it? Like, who says you can't do that? Hey, and welcome back to the next episode of the Trail Running Women podcast. If you're new here, and we definitely do have some new listeners, which is awesome, we talk to women across the world who are winning races, coming in last in races, coming mid-pack, not even getting to the start line, or not finishing. And each and every one of them has an inspiring story of what they learned about themselves and their life while they were training, during the race, and then a lot of just really basic tips about how to train, how to fuel, and a lot, a lot of really great laughs along the way. Today's guest is somebody who we have had back on multiple times, and every single time I learn something new and I get so much out of chatting with her. Alyssa Clark is one of the strongest runners that we talk to both mentally and physically, and I did not know we were going to get into what we got into today, and that is always extra fun because it just makes it quite entertaining for me, quite honestly. But I thought we were going to talk about her awesome win at Hurt 100 and what she learned about how to train for that race. But we took a bit of a turn and we touched on before I knew her and before COVID and kind of her attempts at massive races, including Dragon's Back Race and Tour de Chance, and actually failing at those and what she learned from that and how to kind of come back and not be mentally defeated, but how to change what she's doing and be able to run these outstanding races with great results, but also with a great mindset and how she passes that on to other people. So I love chatting with her. You guys are going to love it too. You can check out her Instagram at Theory in Motion or just go to mine and you can find me commenting on all of her stuff. So I'm at Hillsport55 where I love when you guys write me messages about how the show's impacted you, about guest recommendations, questions for trail tips, all that good stuff. Okay, so life update. Three-year-olds are really, really hard. Uh, That's my update on three-year-olds, and it's all hindsight because now I'm like, man, having a baby was hard at the time, and now I would kill for just a baby, but also trying to be like, one day he's going to be a teenager and have real problems, and I'm going to wish that my biggest problem was that he was a moody three-year-old. So it is what it is. I'm trying to enjoy each moment. If you think I should have another kid, please go to my last Instagram post or find me in the DMs and tell me how to make that decision because I don't know. So this is something the public should should decide, right? Um, and one of the reasons that I want to is because my relationship with my siblings is so awesome. They are my best friends. And I have to give a big shout out to one of my brothers, Cameron, who works in advertising and took a misstep by Tiger Woods when he tried to make fun of his buddy for hitting a poor drive. Did you guys see this? If you didn't, Google the tampon fiasco with Tiger Woods. And he handed him a tampon as though to imply that his buddy hit like a girl. We can all see where that would be offensive to a lot of women. So they, my brother and his team, decided to turn that into something positive called the tampon-a-thon. So what they did during the Masters is every time Tiger Woods touched the ball, So, I mean, even in one putt, they're like cleaning it, turning it, changing it, blah, blah, blah. Every time he touched the ball, they donated a tampon to somebody in need. So it ended up being 16,200 
tampons to communities that need them. So that was a super cool thing. So shout out to Cam for taking something silly and making it something awesome. Before we get into it, let's thank our sponsors. So today's first sponsor is Janji, and I am so excited to offer you guys a discount code of TRW15. If you wanna head over to their website at J-A-N-J-I and get yourself a new outfit for summer, for spring, because the colors are absolutely bright, vibrant, amazing, but the clothing is so functional for long distance, the pockets, the comfort, the lightweight, absolutely fantastic gear. But the best part is that they are doing everything that they can for the environment. So they're durable, sustainable, responsible, and they're also taking 2% of all of their proceeds and giving them back to clean water initiatives around the world, which is so important. Clean water is one of the leading causes of all sicknesses across the world. So they feature the multi-short and the trail short, and they both have five plus pockets to support your full day adventures with the ability to carry your phone, gels, sunglasses, you name it. They also have a five year run guarantee, which means that no matter what, if your product rips, tears, or breaks within five years due to any defect in workmanship or material, they'll replace it, repair it, or give you a store credit. So again, that is J-A-N-J-I and use discount code TRW15 for 15% off your new fabulous spring outfit. We're also brought to you today by Gooder Sunglasses. So you guys have heard me talk about them for a while. So if you have not checked them out, please go to gooder.com, G-O-O-D, because you know how to spell good, R.com, to see these fabulous, fun new styles. So they are polarized and they do not slip and they do not bounce. So they are lightweight, good time, to make you run faster because you can see, and that's kind of the key. Um, I like to run, read the names to you guys every once in a while because they're so awesome. So pick my carb, any carb, and rabbit egg hunt with zombie Jesus. That's right, rabbit egg hunt with zombie Jesus. Okay, but so for real, those are like a light blue pair, like an ice blue kind of, um, that I might have to go ahead and get. So the best part is they're $25 a pair. So these are so affordable, so you can go ahead and get five, six, 18, 28 pairs, whatever floats your boat. And if you only want one pair, then I encourage you to use discount code TRW for free shipping. That way you can continue to check out what new fun, awesome colors they have and pick a single pair at a time and still get free shipping. It does not get more affordable than that. So go to gooder.com and use discount code TRW at checkout. Okay, live from a hotel in California for the fourth time back on the show, we have the winner of Hurt 100 and also a super fast 5K runner, as it turns out. Welcome back to the show, Alyssa Clark. Thanks for having me. I Wow, it has been four times. I love every time that we get together, we have these epic conversations and people love them. So I'm so glad that you are willing to join us and you have so much going on with coaching and running and I'm excited to catch up on all of it but I my main reason I wanted to chat with you today you're training for this huge multi-day event you just did 100 miles but also mixing in some short distance speed and just see if we can get your opinion on that kind of variety and what it took mentally and physically yeah definitely it's funny because I feel weird saying this but dragon's back is like such a distant goal uh, that I haven't even thought to, I mean, I've thought about it every day, but haven't thought about it 
so much because there's a couple of intermediary points. Uh, speed is kind of the low hanging fruit for me, as my coach says. So that's definitely one of the factors that's coming into play for the training that I've been doing recently. So let's back up a bit. I mean, we were going to chat and then I think I might have gotten COVID or something happened about Moab and we spoke to Izzy instead. I spoke to you just before that. So let's get a brief update then on your racing schedule. So your last kind of big race was Hurt 100. Talk us a bit about how that race went. Yeah. So honestly, I mean, (laughs) I feel like a jerk for saying this because a lot of people will get mad at me, but I had fun the entire time. The whole race, I was just having an absolute blast, and I don't think I had a single low. I had a couple moments where I was like, wow, this is really hard, but uh, having lived there for three years and just getting to go back, and I was with some really good friends. I had a great crew, great pacers. I just, it was like coming home, and it's so fun when you've done a race So that was my first hundred and looking back at it, I just had no idea what I was doing. And so it was so fun to go back into it and be like, just have a really concrete marker of where I've come in my trail running career. And it's, it was just, it was so freaking fun. Like, I feel like I had family around the entire course and I guess the tricky part of hurt, but I actually like it quite a bit is that you're constantly crisscrossing your other competitors. And I love talking to people. So getting to talk to people and cheer people on the entire time and just almost be a part of their races as well. That was, that's something that I think is really special about hurt. Um, it's definitely an interesting competitive element because you're constantly seeing where other people are, but I also think that's so much fun. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I've had a couple of races like that, obviously on a smaller scale, but especially in trail running where you end up just on this epic adventure totally by yourself most of the time, that to suddenly be able to kind of do it with people in a sense is just a different kind of view of the sport, really. It is. And I think that it's a really good lesson that at the end of the day, yeah, we're racing, but we're more out there for this adventure together. And I like Teresa, it's seeing Teresa every time was such a huge boost to me of just being like, oh my gosh, she's having this incredible race. Like, how could I not, you know, push myself as hard as I can as well? And I think that that's a huge bonus to all of this. You're not just in this mindset of like, I've got to go as fast as I can. I have no idea how far they are behind me. Uh, No, we're all in it together. So you talk a bit about this being your first hundred miler and then getting come coming back to it. What do you think if you were off the top of your head, if possible to pick the top three things that you were like, Oh, this was something I wish I knew, or this was like the biggest lesson that I learned and I was able to change. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is I remember my first hundred, I think the last at least 20 miles, if not longer, I, subsisted off of Coca-Cola and that was all I could get into my system. Like I was so nauseous. So this time I did start to get somewhat nauseous toward the end, but I was able to, uh, have spring energy, uh, every 40 minutes. Like I had a gel every 40 minutes for the entire race. And that was just such a huge energy boost. I mean, quite literally. 
So that was <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the well things that I think just helped me so much is consistent nutrition. Uh, it's taken me years to figure that out. I mean, years. Like Dragon's Back, the last time I just didn't eat for three days. Not I just like forgot slash made a choice not to, which is really questionable. I was just like, ah, whatever. It's fine. I don't really need that. And uh, just didn't pay attention to it. So that was a huge failure. Um, I think the other, like, I just have my systems more dialed. Like, I know what shoes to wear. I feel confident in how to deal with blisters, which I didn't, I did get some blisters, but really not. Like, I didn't change socks or shoes at all the entire time. Um, I think just mentally, the biggest thing is being able to deal with things as they come up. So there was one point on the third loop where I was kind of thinking, oh, I'm a little bit tired and I'm starting to get a little bit nauseous. And I was like, well, are you actually nauseous? Not really. Are you actually tired? No. Do your legs hurt? I mean, a little bit like, yes, 60 miles or so in they do a bit, but nothing that bad. And so I was able to just be like, cool. Okay. Put it in your, like, you're great. You're totally fine. Like, push that away. You're good. And so I think last time I used to get so caught up in, oh, I feel terrible. I'm going to die. I'm going to just like lay down in this road and, you know, whatever comes, comes. And I just don't quite let my emotions get that big anymore. Or if they do get big, I just don't pay attention to them. So I think that's a big difference. One that I love that we've talked about, I think you and I have even talked about before so much, which is such a huge part of ultra running is those signals that we've talked about the book endure, the signals of fatigue, and then the decision that I don't have to listen to this. And it just means I'm sort of at the edge of my comfort zone. And like, that's just kind of cool. And that's where you get to push and see what it feels like. But it's, it's just a warning sign. And it's not something like you said, you don't have to have big emotions around it. Um, that's a really cool point. Yeah, you know, I remember the first time that I ran Hurt, actually, the founders, um, John, he said to me, there's always a moment in a 100 miler where your brain tells you that you can't keep going and it's your job to figure out how true that is and to shut it off. And mm -hmm. I, interestingly enough, I think I my brain in the 100 miler has now been able, I don't feel that as much. Uh, 200 miles for sure. I haven't, <laughs> but I do think that's such a good point. And it's not to say that you shouldn't listen to your body as we've talked about before, but you also need to have your wits about you to rationalize it. And I think that that's a key component. Like, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. Like I'm eating, I'm drinking. Yeah. My legs are tired, but I'm okay. So I think that, yeah, that's a huge point. Yeah, for sure. Differentiating between the two. And that kind of ties in with the second thing I think that you is really important, which is you can have a coach and you can be as prepared as you possibly can with training. But there's some things in that distance that you just sort of have to learn how your body's going to respond and what that is like for you. Like, where are you going to get blisters? Well, unless we really put the miles on in one day, in the exact same conditions, in the same shoes, which we could try to mimic as best as we can, some of it is just going to be experience. And there has to be a learning curve to something this 
difficult and that's okay. Um, and it is so much experience and then learning exactly what works for you and what fixes the problem. Um, and then as well, learning more like, okay, this is sort of a normal feeling of fatigue. And then this is maybe something I should listen to. Um, so there's a lot to say there just for kind of experience. And that goes with eating too, right? It's like, I don't know how many people on the podcast have come out of 200 and something interviews. I promise you like 50% of them have said, oh my gosh, I didn't know how fast I could be or how good I could be until I learned how to eat. And still it's just, it's just the hardest thing for people both mentally and physically to get around. So all of those three lessons I think are really important. Yeah. And so much of that ties to, I'll get a little bit nerdy on the coaching side of things, but so much of it ties to being able to stay in, but like below your aerobic threshold. Cause if you're in zone one, zone two, while you're racing versus being in three and four, especially off the bat, if you're in three and four, you can't eat. Like you're not, there is, there is no <laughs> amount of energy, time, et cetera, blood flow that's going to your stomach that's able to digest. So if you can slow yourself down enough so you can eat, you'll put yourself in such a better position further on in the race. But if you go out like a bat out of hell, which I have done so many times, you're immediately going into the zones where you're not digesting food and you're going to feel really bad. So being able to stay in a lower heart rate zone is going to benefit you in terms of taking in nutrition. And you're talking to someone who at the beginning of Tour de Jean, I think my hurry was at like 180. So again, I've made, you know... <laughs> Practice what you preach, Alyssa. Um, I'm getting there, we'll <laughs> say. But it does make well, it such a difference where you're like, oh, cool, I can eat from the start versus wanting to throw up from the start. Yeah, and then being like, oh, no, I need to get 500 calories in this hour, and that's not going to be possible. <laughs> exactly. Because I've done that too. That's interesting. I actually didn't know that you had done Dragon's Back Race before. Yeah, I attempted it. So <laughs> I call it the year of DNF like 2019, I DNF Dragon's Back and then I DNF Tour de Jean. This is a really solid year. <laughs> of course, I think I was, how old was I? 25. So I was just young and dumb and did not, I'm not saying the 25 year olds are young and dumb. I in particular was a young and dumb 25 year old who just didn't, I didn't know myself well enough to take those on. And so, yeah, Dragon's Back, I was doing really well. Um, I mean, things were going great, but I remember just out on the trail being like, oh, I need to eat something and just be like, I'll do it later. And I just kept doing that and eventually got to the point where I was so calorie deficient. I was just like kind of stumbling down the trail and um, just like didn't I just plain didn't have enough calories to keep me going. I was way too weak and like had electrolyte issues and so end up I mean at the end of the day like they kind of always say well yeah basically got medically pulled um and then yeah tour de jean kind of similar of wait, like what's up wait did you attempt these both in the same year aren't yes. they like the same time uh so they were they were not dragon's bike used to be in may and then right. tour was in September. Okay. Yeah. And they switched it. I was like, Did Would you just get pulled and just go to the start line of a different race? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. That does sound like something I would have done at the time. Um, no, I wish it was still in May though, because I feel like all the big 200 milers are right in the fall. I'm like, 
except coconut donut, which is great. But like, come on, guys, like spread it out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I know it's definitely challenging that way in race selection. But so my my what's interesting about this that I was wondering and why I was wondering about timeline as well. After that happened at Dragon's Back Race, did you then go into Tour de Jean having any idea yet that that was your main problem or had that not really sunk in yet? Um, I think I had an idea. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> I've, I've known that for a long time. Um, it's really up until maybe a year ago that I started actually trying to make it better. So <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Uh, yeah, I've always known it's been an issue. Um, and part of it is, it just kind of felt like I could never figure out what to eat. It's like, no matter what, nothing was really working. Cause I would get palate fatigue or just be like, I can't get this down. And yeah, it's, I knew that was a problem. Tour de Jean was, I was just in over my head. I mean, that race is just so unbelievably big yeah. in so, like every single sense of that word. Uh, we were also, the weather was really tough. It was snowing up high and then it was super warm at the bottom. And so a lot of people were getting altitude induced bronchitis, which is what ended up happening to me. So like, I just kind of couldn't breathe at the top. So there was a combination of that. And I could have just, you know, in both situations, I could have just sat my ass down for a couple hours to like five hours, had plenty of time with cutoffs and everything and just taking like a big old nap and reset and probably gone on and finished the race. But I was way too immature to wrap my head around the fact that I wouldn't be able to quote unquote race it. And so looking back, I'm like, I wish I'd done that just for the experiences of it. But I just kind of was in this like, flame or burnout or just like ride or die moment of I have to race as hard as I can. And I can't, I can't just, you know, do it for fun. And I wish now looking back on it, I had to do it for fun. One from just getting the experience and getting to see the whole course and two, just to gain that experience. Uh, so yeah, it was just a definitely pretty immature mindset to have. I mean, I was pretty, I wasn't exactly in a good spot, but I definitely could have gotten myself out of it without just blowing myself up. Yeah, I get that. And that also is experience and learning what you can take from a race. If you are able to look past the results, a race like that anyways. Um, but, <laughs> oh my God, I should have written this down but then I got captivated in your story. Oh, that's right. What I thought was so interesting about you is like when we first chatted and when I first heard you on podcast, it was about the Epic marathons. So these two races happened before. And I didn't realize you had two. what might feel like at that age, this, I don't mean this offensively, but oh. big failures, right? Like big goals, big races and to fail both of them takes a lot to kind of overcome and decide that you're still going to reach the caliber that you've reached. So do you now in hindsight have any idea how you dealt with that mentally and decided like this wasn't going to be your story? Oh, it, I called 2019 the year of DNF and I actually almost stopped trying to race. I was like, clearly I'm not good at this. 
why am I spending so much time and energy and you know, strain on my family? Because ultra running is in many ways, it's this huge output. Um, yeah. And we've kind of adapted to that, especially because my husband likes to do crazy mountain stuff too. So we're equal. Uh, but yeah, I was just like, I don't think I'm cut out for this. I think maybe I should just stop doing this. And I, you know, I reacted to it really immaturely, honestly. After tour, I was given the opportunity to race two shorter races. I think they're around 30K, but both of them had massive climbs in them. And I was just like sobbing at the start of one of them and I think crying in the other one and was just like, why am I doing this to myself? I think I raced a 50K too and that went okay. But I raced like three races within a month of doing 130 miles at Tour de Jean, which is so stupid. And so I just felt like, oh, I need to punish myself for these failures. And none of those races did anything except make me more tired. But I also started working with... Uh, my new coach who I've been with since then. And I think that that was one of the most key components of him just helping me to reframe how I thought about racing, where racing is no longer the core part of my identity. Like how I finish at a race does not say anything about who I am as a person. And that has taken a lot of work for me to separate my value as a human <laughs> in many ways um, from my race resu results. But that was, he's been an, a really important part of that. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's looking back that I was like, wow, that was really rough like that. But I don't think anything that I have done since then might've happened had that not happened. And, you know, the marathons I think was such a great bridge because it wasn't a race, but it was something that was kind of this epic adventure that mattered. Like the process was the most important part of that whole journey. And I had no idea what it was going to end up. I had no idea I was even going to do that. And I think that that taught me a lot about how you like don't spend so much time on the end result, be in that moment. And that's really helped with my racing now as I get to the start of a race. I'm like, yes, I have goals and yes, I believe I can do this. And I believe I can do this because of all the other things that I've done. And that journey is far more important than how you know, where I stand at the end of this race. So I think I got really lucky that I had, I was kind of for Like <laughs> I remember the last time I put a bib on for that really dumb three races, right? One after one was like, I don't want to put a bib on for a long time. I'm just so burned out. And then COVID happened and I was like, okay, universe, I see what you're doing here. Um, I guess thanks for the year plus off. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that was actually a huge gift in many ways that I was forced to take time away from racing and really assess who do I want to be? Why is this important to me? And can I separate 
who I am from what I do. Just going to take a quick break to thank our next sponsor. So our next partner is Athletic Greens. And I have been taking AG1 since we started working together last summer, but I actually first heard about it on the Huberman podcast. And that guy is a wealth of knowledge for all things peak performance. And I needed something that not only was going to boost my gut health, but also help with immune system support. Because as we talked about in the last episode, when you have small kids and you're just not able to get everything that you need through food and rest, you need to have that support. So I was not doing a good job of taking pills and vitamins. And the problem with the green powders I was finding is they did not taste good. So when I found AG1 and the fact that it actually tastes super good with a cold glass of water, I was excited. And it is one of the only routines other than actually running that I've been able to stick to for quite some time. And it really beyond the sleep and immune support. I think the key for me because of all the allergies is that it also does help my gut so that my whole body can thrive. So it is made with 75 super high quality vitamins and minerals and whole food source ingredients that deliver so many benefits beyond the immune and the sleep. Um, It's also just energy and mood and all the little things that help make life better. So if you want to take ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com backslash TRWP. That's athleticgreens.com backslash TRWP to check it out. Yeah, that is such an amazing point. And that's exactly what I was thinking. I was when you started that comment was, oh my goodness, the marathons. And if anybody doesn't know, it was 95 consecutive marathons. Dude, I am just getting like, it's embarrassing how much I've gotten my ass handed to me by these ladies who are doing marathons now. I know you started a trend for sure. Um, But I don't know if as many of them were on treadmills, which is crazy. Um, But it was such a perfect timing because there was nobody behind you. There's nobody to compare yourself to. It was just you and your running and being able to think like, okay, like I could do this and this is a little bit crazy and then get into the race environment as like a new fresh start. So it totally worked out silver lining of the pandemic for you as a personal person. And then to be able to say, to separate yourself from it being your identity and still go on to do huge, amazing things because now you sort of have the freedom, like you said, with her to just go in and have fun, which the scientific side of enjoying the race is quite clear that you feel less pain when you're happy um, because of the receptors and the blockage and all the things. And people probably know a little bit of what I'm talking about. And one of the things they say to do if you're in a low is to smile. So Um, that signals to your body that you're like in a good place. So everything sort of did come into place for you to be able to be this awesome runner, which is super cool because you're still so young. It's not like you're sorting this out at 45 or something, which is the usual case. I I am turning 30 in a couple months. Holy crap. And I'm, I have never been more, I'm like, oh, finally, I'm frigging 30. I've been like, you know, 30 is kind of the start of, most ultra marathon runners like oh yeah we like finally getting to it so i think most people are like oh my gosh i'm turning 30 i'm getting so old i'm like no i'm psyched like finally i'm not an idiot 20 year old <laughs> totally totally oh that's so funny um so let's talk a bit about i want to before because we're we're like halfway through already because that was very interesting tangent 
I want to talk about, so you texted me that you had ran this epic 5k, which is so funny because it's also so fast. And we're talking fast for ultra runners, not like the road runner in their underpants. What was your final time? 18. <laughs> I love that. I loved your caption on the 5k the other day where you were like, all these women run in their underpants. I was like, yes, yes, they do. I don't yes. do that. <laughs> That's how, you know, That's the difference. It's the underpants people. And it's, uh, it's definitely not me, but so talk us through, maybe let's start from the beginning. Uh, well, I asked your goal time, so you better, or sorry, I asked your time was, so you better tell us now, but yeah, what made you want to do this and what were your expectations? Yeah. So, well, I also, I feel pretty silly that I texted you, but I, I think it's so cool what you're doing of doing a fast marathon and you challenge yourself in ways that are inspiring to me and so that's why I texted you not so much to be like oh my gosh Hillary look at that I'm like not a total idiot on a 5k it was more just like oh, I hey know, I, I know that. I know but some <laughs> it's like I always go back and forth of being like oh, I don't want to just be like hey I'm bragging it's just like no you're like thank you it's more of a thank you of thanks for coming into my brain in the moment that I needed someone to be like nope you can do this. So that's why, that's why I texted. But um, yeah, I ran what? 1834. And again, that's yeah. Compared to underpants, uh, captain underpants people, it's not that fast, but I throughout. So I went into ultra running straight out of college. Like I was 22 and I think two months out of college when I ran my first ultra and so I've always focused on longer stuff and I've never really, I, I, like I, I ran cross country in high school, but that's a whole other story of it's going back from illness. So it's never really that fast. And I was fast on a field because I played college lacrosse, but I was never like, Hey, I'm just going to go out and grind for a 5k or a 10k. So I kind of skipped the part of early twenties where it's like, ah, let me see how fast I can get at the shorter distances. And so I've always skipped the training for 5K, 10K, and all of my training has been focused not at that. And you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna ever really be that good at it unless you focus some, or you're just like you know a college cross country runner, whatever. And mo like the last couple of years in the spring, I have focused more on speed work. Because as I said at the beginning, it's something I'm not as good at. And my coach always likes to focus on that um, so I can translate that into longer training in the summer. So last year, I was like, hey, I really want to run a fast 5K. I've never broken 20 minutes. And I feel like that's just something I should be able to do. I really want to do it. And I'm always just like... I just want to, I, I, I want that to be something I'm proud of too. And I did a 5k last year and I was under a lot of stress. I was still teaching. I was about to leave for this huge trip that ended up uh, causing a lot of mental breakdowns afterwards. And I set out to do it. I've been actually, I think running possibly even faster in terms of my training, but I just completely blew up on it. I like tripped and fell and <laughs> On a bike path. It's like I can run technical trail all over the place. Did not fall once during hurt. What do I do? Trip and fall and just destroy my knee on a flat bike path. 
uh, last year. And I think I ran, I don't know, 20 something was like that. This sucks. I'm never going to do this again. Uh, I'm just not cut out for it. And it was funny because that was this kind of, I think, like the start of my season. And (laughs) I was like, oh, gosh, this is not going to go well this year. And then when I saw my training this year, which has been, I mean, quote unquote, speed work, like when we say speed, speed is such a different thing for ultra runners, but I was doing upwards of, cause my coach and I have moved in this direction. He's like, okay, we're going to experiment. Hold on. Uh, so we're doing speed work twice a day of different kind of speeds. So it'd be like low zone three, high zone three. So we think of like one hour to one and a half hour pace and then two hour pace um, for varying lengths of intervals, which double speed days are fun and hard. Um, it would be like three plus hours by the time of warm up and cool down of speed work twice a week, um, but it really worked. So I'm pretty stoked on that. And I want to talk to him more about his thoughts behind that and science. I'm thinking from the research that I've done, it sounds a lot like what the speed skaters and also athletes that are measuring by blood lactate are doing. Um, But again, that's getting kind of nerdy. So I was like, "Uh, do you think I could do another 5K? And he's like, yeah, but that would be you getting a a 5K PR would just be like a happy outcome. We're not going to do last time I focused more on it. We're not going to do that. You can do one. And so I put in a date where I thought it would work well. It was on a Thursday. So I'd already done, I think like 50 miles of training up to the point I did done the 5k. So it was like double speed day, another like 13 or so mile run. And then the, the 5k would be the first session of another double speed day. And I picked the course and I definitely gave myself uh, some downhill on the course and was like, yeah, but this seems fair. Like it's not, it's some downhill, but it's not like oh yeah, I'm just running down the side of the mountain. Um, and there were some flat spots. I was like, okay, you've got like, yeah, you can use the slight downhill at the start, but then it's going to flatten out and you have to keep it going. Because oftentimes they'll start out on the downhill and then I'll just like completely lose it on the flat. So I was psyching myself out as I was starting. I was like, stop psyching yourself out. Like you can do this. Also, it doesn't matter. Like nothing's going to change about this 5K. Like you already... If you run slightly under 20, great. If you run over 20, literally nothing has changed. So I was like doodle fritzing at the start. I was just like, okay, just go. And so I start out. I was like, wow, I feel really good. Like this is going really well. And then I fly through the first mile. I was like, oh, that was a lot faster than I was expecting to go. I am probably going to shoot myself in the foot. But I was like, okay, just keep going. Hit the second mile. I was like, wow, I still feel really good. And I only have a mile left. Like, I have got to just hold on to this for another mile. And then I got to like 2.8 or something and went, you have 0.3 miles left. Yeah, this does not feel great, but keep it together. And when I stopped my watch, I was like, oh, 18.34. Wow, that is way faster than... I ever thought I was capable of doing. And to say all of this, basically the moral is that I originally was telling myself this narrative that wasn't true. And I had 
it was very, it would have been very easy for me to fulfill that narrative of, I'm just not that fast. I can probably never break 20 or never break 1930. And instead I just said, well, why not me? Why not this moment? Why don't you just stop limiting yourself and just go for it? Like who says you can't do that? And also it doesn't matter either way that you do it. And so that release of just stopping telling myself what I couldn't do or what I couldn't be freed me up and I felt like I was fine. And it was really funny because my dad's a a former marathoner and he's done tons of track workouts and Ironmans. And I texted them afterwards. I was like, oh, I did this. He's like, wow, I didn't think you had that kind of speed in you. Like, that's incredible. I was like, thanks, dad. Thanks for believing me. <laughs> no, but they were, they were psyched. So it's just, I think, a really great lesson that, and I, I, I loved hearing that with Teresa too, where she ran her PR at what, like 42 or something. And that you should never tell yourself what you can't do. You should never limit that. And I, you know, think I like have all these thoughts of what I can do in longer distances, but just this 18 something minutes taught me that I shouldn't do it at any point in my life. Yeah. It's, a 5K is so difficult too because it has to be sort of the perfect day. Yes. Like a training run, even training double speed, you can kind of work through some problems. But if there's anything a little bit off and you mess up a 5K, you just can't hold that pace. So you have to believe it. And then you you sort of have to focus in, even though it seems like a shorter, not as big of a deal as I'm going to be out there for a few days. So it's a bit of a mental challenge in that sense too. And the reason that I think it's so cool to hear you and how excited you are about this is because I know that you can go run 200 miles fast. Like that's not a shock, you know, um, we're supposed to be not supposed to be, but sort of train. We're trained to do those things. And that is where we are probably suited best to really, um, push our limits and and get great results. So doing these short 5Ks is not about comparing yourself to anybody else. And that's sort of the freedom in it too. It's doing something that like you didn't think you were totally suited for, just like your dad said, which is extra satisfying. And it really does then open your mind to like, oh, okay, so what if I do bet on myself? Like what is possible? So it is such a great stepping stone to bigger goals too. Yeah, and it translates really well. So this year I have 200Ks uh, overseas, actually. I'm actually leaving in just a few days for Istria 100K and then Valderrain 100K. And that's really, honestly, outside of my comfort zone, too. 100Ks are kind of right at the edge of distance where I start to doubt myself. Can I keep up with these like these fast people? Oh, they're probably just going to leave me in the dust. And so that 5K is now having me say, well, why not me? You know, I put in great training. I've worked really hard. I am getting faster. Why am I already limiting myself saying that other people are faster than I am? Why am I looking at the start list and saying, well, maybe I have a shot at top three or top five if such and such and such is like, well, you don't know their training. You don't know anything about them. Yeah, they're fast, but why are, you know, why can't you be right there too? And I think that that mindset just helps. It's like, 
I think everyone knows where their sweet spot is where they're like, yeah, I, you know, put me on this kind of race and I feel really confident because I know it super well. And I know myself in this situation, but I think in ultra running, it's so important to expand beyond that where it's like, I am scared in some ways to do a fast up 100 K, but I'm also looking at now being like, I've put in hard training to make me faster. And so why shouldn't I be as, I love that Teresa said like the, the motto of this year is better on yourself. It's like, yeah, why shouldn't I be betting on myself to do there? Why not me? And that has been really something I've been focusing on since right before Moab. I had this epiphany um, actually when I was over in uh, France when I was supposed to run TDS and then got COVID. I was at, luckily recovered within like a few days or so. Um, like four or five days where I could just go out and hike a lot. And I just spent probably like an eight hour hike. Cause I think I was moving slower too. just thinking about how much I didn't believe in myself and wanting to change that. And I you know, got into all like, ah, it comes from college. It comes from this. It comes from that. And just being like, why are you still holding on to that? Why are you still sabotaging your future? By what happened in the past. And that was a huge moment of self-reflection and releasing a lot of self-doubt and beliefs that I didn't realize I still held about myself. And I mean, negative beliefs and just going like, okay, here we go. Like here's starting over and here's giving yourself permission to let that go. And it's not that they still aren't a part of you, but also taking those moments and being like, no, that's showing how strong I am. And that's showing how I can overcome hard things to be where I'm at right now. And damn it, I'm going to start believing in myself a lot more because you spend an awful lot of time and energy into training and working hard to be the best that you can be. Why are you not taking the next step to actually believe in it and to go into races and be like, yeah, I do deserve to be here. And no, I can't control all, all the factors. I can't control how anyone else races, but why am I already going into this race with limiting beliefs about what I can do? Like, why can't it be me? So that's really the biggest shift that I'm seeing um, and trying to keep like pushing forward and uh, needless to say, like hundred K is scary for me because it is fast. It is hard. Like, but I'm also, I have trained to do my best and I'm going to put that my best foot forward. And yeah, Dragon's Back honestly is a comfort zone. It's like the two races I have before are the scary are far scarier to me than Dragon's Back because I'm like, yeah, multi-day, get in the dirt, technical trail or not trail, just like hard multi-day effort. Like that is my bread and butter. But fast 100Ks, like that scares me because it reveals what I think are weaknesses. But it's like, no, I've worked on that. Like I deserve to to give myself the shot at being the best I can be. Yes. And I love that so much because your example is about the podium, but that goes to anybody. And you can even be thinking like, this isn't a race I can even enter and then change your mindset to why not me? Because why not? Um, so maybe that's what everybody should adopt this year. So if you have a race that you're going to take 
that stance on, I want you to tag us both in Instagram and let's like make that a hashtag or a tag or something. Um, just like why not me or bet on yourself, whichever one you like, because I think that's such an awesome easy sentence that you can just continue to say to yourself and manifest as you go. Um, okay. We're almost out of time, but I want to know physically, um, kind of going into the 5k, one thing that we find is like, Oh, 5k short, you need to taper for it, but you need all of your energy. And I'm just curious, like the week leading up for it, you're training for hundred K's and all these long and doing double speed days. Like how much did you feel like you needed to rest and recover with somebody of your volume to then run this pace? Oh, I didn't rest or recover at all. <laughs> okay. That's, good. that's I what I knew I, you were going to say. And I was like, Damn it. No, I didn't at all. And you know, I actually think that worked to my favor because I didn't build it up or blow it out of proportion. It was just like, cool. It's another training session amongst a bunch of training sessions. And right. so that actually, I think, took the pressure off. And I, this is my weird, my weird thing is that I do better when I'm tired. It's like every single one of those double speed sessions, I've probably done like, I don't know, 14 or 15 of those double days. The second session was every single time better. So there's something for me that when I have burned off whatever nervous energy, whatever extra from the morning session, whatever, like I'm always better in the latter stages. Like I always close harder. And so I think not being rested actually worked out well. Like, and my coach has done a really good job of understanding that about me. Um, it's why I have to be really careful when I talk about taper with people. I'm like, don't look at my taper. It's not usual. Uh, I was just going to say that <laughs> I, this needs to go with the grain of salt that like you are a freak of nature with volume. You focus on running a lot and people, sometimes some of the people don't have the chance to like not be on their feet at work and not chase around kids. And there are differences in your lives. You are a special human being. <laughs> well, yeah. To be oh no. We just did a podcast on tapering. And one of the points I was like, we have to talk about this. I was like, don't look at other people's tapering. If someone looked at my tapering, they would be like, why are you running four hours the weekend before you have races? Like, because that actually works for me, but it's taken me years and years to figure that out. And it probably doesn't work for most people. So like, don't, <laughs> it like rest is important. I'm not saying rest is super, super important. Uh, but I have been able to manage my life so that I can have rest in ways like, I, yeah, exactly. I'm not chasing around a little kid. I'm also, I mean, like coaching is funny because it's its own kind of stressors, but it's way less stressful than so many other jobs I've had. So like I've been able to navigate my life so that there isn't a ton of external stress as there used to be, which has allowed me to run better. Cause when I used to have like a teaching job and all this extra stress, I couldn't do what I'm doing right now. So yeah, it's everyone is individual and don't look to someone else's training to influence your own. Yeah, that's so important. And that's why working with a coach who knows you is also so great because like this happens to me and Katie all the time. Uh, we talk about Katie all the time. She is someone I need to connect you guys still who absolutely crushed the field at Dragon's Back Race. And she's more like you. And we, during COVID, did a lot of 
big epic kind of FKT things together. And once, maybe twice, I trained with her right until the day of, assuming, well, if she can do this, I can do this. And it just, it didn't work. Like I needed a full extra week of still intense runs, but shorter volume than she did. And I like died straight out of the gate and then looked back on it and was like, why did I just follow her training program and not mine? Um, FOMO. That's why that's the answer. Yes. But I had to book like, I had to book, I still do this work trips the week before a race that I know I have to drive like 12 hours a day so that I'm forced to be like locked into a car. That is awesome. <laughs> Cause my coach was like, Oh, like, well, how did you, how did your like rest days go leading into this race that I just blew up at? And I was like, well, when I look back, I think I played 11 hours of tennis. <laughs> he was like, no, that's not, it's not resting. Oh man. <laughs> that's so funny. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, and I think it's sport, still stupid. It is. I know. I'm right in my stage. I mean, it's still less volume for me where I'm like, oh, I just, I don't even really want to do this race because I just want to run more. And I'm like, you're an idiot. Shut your face. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That That's the struggles with it too. Is you go back and forth between like, I just want the freedom to run like 50 miles every day if that's what I want. But that kind of freedom wouldn't be that exciting if you also didn't have to put in the time to do the proper training for different races, right? Like it's, you, you need to have times where you don't have that freedom so that you can enjoy it afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. Go for okay. It. We have to wrap up here. My husband just left for work. So there's a three-year-old running around the house doing God knows what that's dangerous. I can't believe he's if already you have, three. Sorry. I know he's going to be four in the summer. Like time just goes so fast. He's like a little human being. Wow. It's weird. Last question. The biggest piece of advice we've learned from this is we're all going to bet on ourselves, and like, why not? So take away that mental kind of ceiling and see where you can go. If you are in the depths of a race and you need to remind yourself of that, like what's one piece of advice that you would tell your clients to be like, remember, this is this is what we're going to think. I, what I always try to tell myself is like, this is what you've been training for. Like, this is the moment where you have gone out in the rain. You've, you know, not gone out with your friends or, or not had a drink or any of that. Um, this is the moment where all of that hard work comes to, to a head and it's time to go. Like, this is your time. As I was leaving the aid station for hurt, on the fifth lap and I was like chasing, I was kind of right on the edge of like, yeah, is the course record possible? Is it not? I said to myself, this is where you can be good or this is where you can be great. And that was, and I was just like, all right, let's go. And I didn't get the course record, which that's a whole other thing. But that moment of just like took off out of the aid station. I told them I'd take three minutes. I think I took like one because <laughs> I was just like, I'm not sticking around. <laughs> Bye. That is such a good reminder because yeah, my question after I was like, that's how you articulate it is like when you're struggling to believe this, when you're in the depths of it, how do you get yourself back on track? And you're right. It's just being like, this is what I, this is what those moments were for. Like we've arrived to the, to the time. If our people, I have to get going, but if our people want to find you, what's your Instagram, email, coaching, plug all your stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So probably I'm most active on Instagram, which is theory underscore in underscore motion. 
So theory in motion, um, reach out to me at any point. I love talking about running, coaching, all of that shiz. So that's a great great sign off. (laughs) And uh, yeah, start this hashtag. We want to hear about it. Yes, let's do it. Tag us both. I'm Hillsport55 and I will link to both of that in the show notes and I'll put the hashtag in the show notes. Thank you so much for another amazing episode. Thanks, Hillary.